Hello everyone, I'm Rob Warner. And I'm Elliot Jackson. And this is Just Ride, a new cycling podcast from Red Bull. Let's go. Is the terrain actually gravel road? What if we made the tires wider? 5,000 people in one race, that's insane. There is something for everyone, for sure. I rushed away from my chair to see this cute little dog which had in its mouth a sparrow's head. (laughs) (laughs) So here we are, Elliot, finally in the studio with you. I'm really excited about this podcast. I mean, I can't believe that I finally got you to do a podcast with me. (laughs) (laughs) It's taken a while, right? I I won't guest on them. I didn't want to host one, but now I'm here. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. uh, Yeah, I love it. So can you explain uh, what this is? Why are we we here? Well, I can. I mean, a lot of people listening will know us uh, from the mountain bike world, but we're not going to be talking about just mountain biking. We're going to be talking about cycling full stop. We love bikes, whether you're a mountain biker, a roadie, BMXer, trackie, graveler, bikepacker, or even if you just love commuting on your awesome city bike or one of those folding things, this pod is for you. We'll have stories, big name guests, and we hope to take you out and about to some of the major events too. Sounds awesome, Rob. So I've chosen the topic for this week. You'll get your chance later (laughs) in the series. (laughs) But I want to start with something that's taking over our sport. It's it's something that is, it's getting huge. It's gravel riding. It is huge and I love it. And I've got a gravel bike, so we're off to a flyer. Well, it's funny. I saw your Instagram. Uh, first time I've seen you in Lycra in a ah! while. <laughs> if I'm riding gravel, I'm wearing Lycra. <laughs> if it's got drop bars, it just doesn't feel right in baggy gear. I like I like the gravel bike because it feels, I feel like a Tour de France pro, which is always how I like to feel. Sure. I do. I like to put the Lycra on and feel the part. Okay. I love, like everyone else out there, I'm a mammal. Well, I mean, I, I man. guess you, okay. Yeah, that's... <laughs> that Lycra. Yeah. <laughs> a mammal. Well, uh, I feel like you got used to riding Lycra back world champs. You guys used I to run it for everything. I slept straight back in there. Yeah. I used to run it. I used to sleep in it. It was like pyjamas. I never took it off. Oh, that's So amazing. I'm well used to it. But for me, the gravel bike is... It's replaced road bike for me, actually. And I used to ride the road bike a bit. I like it, but the, I like the gravel bike because it's it's perfect cycling without traffic. Well, I think that that's why so many people are into it. It's like the perfect mix between road where you're, yeah. you know, it's not super gnarly. You can go out, you can have fun without the cars. But then for beginners, it's a little bit more accessible, less gnarly than mountain biking. Well, that's right. And a bike is relatively cheap. Compared yeah, to a mountain bike, it's sure. uncomplicated to a mountain bike, which is another reason that I love it. You know, the, the biggest thing I feel when I ride my gravel bike is that it goes forwards when I pedal. <laughs> it's a bit like riding a hardtail yeah, sure. mountain bike from the eighties. You know, <laughs> like although it's a lot, lot, lot better. But mountain bikes now are right. pretty complicated, full suspension, quite inefficient in some ways. But when I get on this bike. When I pedal, I go forwards like I'm on a road bike. And I love that feeling. I love how wrong it is to be banging down hills on drop bars, like not being able to see anything. It's almost like going back 20 years and and being on one of the early mountain bikes. Well, it's funny too that it it started, from what I understand, in the U.S. Because the U.S. has all these gravel roads. Like 
in Oklahoma, like where I grew up, yeah, like the middle spoiled. of the country, apparently there's 1.4 million miles of gravel roads in no, the US. Not. Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. It's it's actually insane. Like kind of came roads from like with the, no traffic. Yeah, that in the I middle mean, of nowhere with the best scenery in the world. Actually, just in the middle no. of nowhere, super flat. And there's so many people that are into it, like Justin Barsha from the Red Bull yeah. Gas Gas team. You have like Jamie Beswick, like BMX Vert Rider. And I saw you just hosting at at Unbound. Unbound. And I yeah. followed some of that and I loved it. Seeing the women, actually, it was like they were. There was a group, small breakaway group, and they were pacing. Yeah, and one yeah, was yeah, dropping, but it was exactly like yeah, watching the tour. It was amazing. Sure. Yeah, I did. I, and, but but in much better surroundings. And, <laughs> right. and obviously, maybe coming from mountain biking it appeals to us just a little bit more than the full road. I don't know, but yeah, it, no, it, I agree. It's a scene. It's a competition. It's some of the best riders in the world, and we got one of them in here right now with us. We've got a guy who is two-time marathon national champion. He's won single speed worlds, big gravel races like the Belgian Waffle and Mid-South. Welcome to Just Ride, Payson McElveen. How are you? Good, man. I'm stoked to be hanging out with you guys. And uh, I'm, I'm here with Rob. You guys, uh, I know we know each other. Do you, do you know Rob? We, we had a chance encounter, right, Payson? I think it's fair to say at the Bentonville Bike Festival. I... Yeah. I love dogs and this dog was near, I was having breakfast on the street and this dog was nearby and I rushed away from my chair to see this cute little dog, which had in its mouth a sparrow's head. <laughs> right? Is that right? Was it? Yeah. it was like a yes. scene from Dumb and Dumber. Like, that is true. You know what I mean? Wait, was it your, was it your dog? Uh... Wait, why was, was it, why I did think... Payson, why were you, why are you was in the story? Was it your dog, Payson, or not? I or can't remember if we had our dog... We might have just been near it. We had our dog there on that trip, so it might have been our dog that was guilty of that situation. No, she's like I don't know, forty-five pounds, fifty pounds. So, and so that's how the conversation that was like your cold. Well, and then as I I got up from the from the shock really of the horror scene that was unfolding in front of me and saw you pace, and I was like, oh right, you're that gravel dude. And he was like, yeah, and he was like. I'm doing a podcast. Do you want to come on it? And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. You're coming on ours. <laughs> That's our, that was our conversation, wasn't it? He was like, am I? I was like, yeah, news to you, news to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then three days later, I got an email and here we are. Is that right? <laughs> so Seamless, much power, Seamless. Rob's, That's how we roll. Rob's got so much power. So, okay. So, Mason, you've won all these amazing races. But the thing that I find the most insane is... You ride across, you ride across these islands. So you rode across Iceland in under twenty hours. What? I've been there. It's super, super harsh. Tell me, tell me about why you did that. Tell me, tell me about it. How was it? Yeah, yeah. Well, that one, uh, that was almost just like a fun opportunity fun. that fell in. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not from the world of arduous mountain biking. <laughs> <laughs> Three minutes is a good good length of time for a, for, for a mountain bike ride. So, what was yeah, the yeah. thing that made you want to? What was the thing that made you want to do it in the first place? Okay, so I'll try to make the story succinct. But basically, uh, the photographer Chris Burkhard, who's a big ultra cyclist and massive fan of Iceland, was putting together this crew uh, that includes Lael Wilcox, who's obviously like the the goat of bike packing, um, and. It was in the middle of my race season. This is in 2021. And I was kind of like, oh, I don't know if I want to go do this eight day bike packing tour around the West Fjords of Iceland. It was sort of like a, there was, they put together a new bike packing route, 
um, kind of in collaboration with Icelandic tourism. It was just a cool adventure to go on. And he knows that I'm definitely the competitive type. And so he sort of like trotted out this idea that no one had ever ridden coast to coast across Iceland in a single push. And that there's this, you know, long history of overland travel, you know, back since the Vikings crossing it by horseback. And that the interior of Iceland is just this unbelievable lunar oh, it's escape. It's yeah. Is yeah. It? It's where NASA sent a bunch of their Apollo training missions because it's the, the closest thing to the moon on, on planet That's Earth. That's not yeah. true. Yeah, it looks insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No way. Yeah. NASA yeah. went there. Heck yeah. I love that. I'll That's shoot you guys a photo. It. I'll shoot you guys a photo later of just how barren this place is. But anyway, um, he's like, yeah, no one's ever ridden across this thing. So that was kind of like the baited hook to get me to go on this other eight-day tour. Um so I tacked on this little project at the end and pulled together some funding last minute. And it was it was a little bit haphazard, um, but we had awesome community support from some local Icelandic riders that kind of helped us with the route the night before. So I got like a full dose of just Iceland craziness. This thermal vent opened up underneath a glacier and what? melted a bunch of ice and created this huge flood and wiped out part of the end of my route and so we had to change the route and do this detour like 12 hours before i did it so there's just all kinds of insane stories anyway there's a film about it on red bull tv if people want to go check that out but yeah we will that was the first kind of like yeah and it was the coolest bike thing i've ever done like bar none was it and so then this globe which maybe you can see i pulled out and just started putting little dots on like oh that land mass makes sense this this part in the world might make sense so i heard you talking about this like you can find you said you now like just search for little islands that seem like they're the right size (laughs) that you can go and ride it so you did tasmania as well yeah i did tazzy uh this past november yeah. We've um we've got the Isle of Wight just off the south coast. Well, you said you're coming to Brighton next week for a wedding, right? Yeah. All you got to do is get on a quick ferry, go over to the Isle of Wight. It's it's amazing. Can I just? I don't want to sort of put my own accomplishments Rob up there with yours. Now. Yeah, I've, I'm a big gravel <laughs> rider. But years ago, as a training ride, someone asked me if I wanted to do a lap of that island, right? And it's the furthest uh. I've ever ridden on a bicycle. I did six. It's 80 miles. I did 62 <laughs> of it. I blew up so hard. I walked into this shop out of my skull. I didn't know where I was, what I was doing. And you know when you're hungry and thirsty, like you've, I was dumb. Yeah. I was. I came yeah. out. I walked out with two a carrot in each hand. Because they were like juicy, and I ate these carrots, and then I called a cab and went back. <laughs> I didn't make it. That was the end of it. Basically, what's the what is like the appeal there for you? Like these really, really? Is it being the first person to do something? Is it kind of pushing yourself? Like, why did you want to do do these type of things in the first place? Yeah, it used to be a competitive thing. Like the Iceland deal was definitely a competitive one. Um, like, can this be done in less than a day type thing? So I was, I was very much like racing a clock. Uh, and then with Tasmania, uh, I came across this route that already existed called the Tasmanian trail, which is 290 miles. And also on paper I could do in less than a day, but I started talking to some locals and realized how much amazing stuff that left out. Like there's so much crazy single track in Tassie. Um, and so I linked up with a couple of locals and we basically built a new route that kind of was like a best of and went from west to east and finished with like 50 miles of the derby single track and just all the legendary stuff that tassie has to offer and so that route turned into a 360 mile route and obviously couldn't be done in or for me couldn't be done in less than a day that was 32 hours and so that like the competitive part kind of got put away and it 
it turns in nowadays for me, it's more of like this uh, immersion exercise where you, I mean, you can get pretty existential pretty quickly here, but you just get to know a place so well. Um, and pulling something off like this is so much like right at the limit of what I can do that there's just so much preparation that has to go in that you end up just making loads of friends in the place, have to learn about all the things that could hurt you. Like I'm very aware of like how a tiger's snake's venom tigers. works at this point. Cause like <laughs> there's a lot of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't know why. <laughs> Get me out of there. Yeah. Oh, so, so anyway, it's not just I a physical fe- effort you have to take care of, but that's part of the charm, right? Learning, like you say, about all these places and the cultures and the wildlife. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But speaking of the UK, Ireland is right near the top of my list because it's about the right size. Uh, so. Oh, no, why? Yeah. So, you know, Rob and I are both noobs at gravel, and I, I feel yeah. like there's so many interpretations of it. Like, how do you, can you actually give me a little, like, history of it? Um, yeah, where you know, did gravel bikes come from? Yeah, totally. They, they feel like Ooh. they're almost, they're a fairly new invention, or are they not? I, my, my view of this whole gravel thing is it's almost like it's a, it's an area on the spectrum of endurance bike riding. Like if you look at something like the Leadville 100, to me, that's almost the OG gravel race. Even though you do it on mountain bikes, it's almost all double track. It's this crazy big adventure. Everyone starts together. There's, you know, wicked fast pros on the first few rows, but then there's people, there's thousands of people behind the pros just trying to finish. And that's kind of at a basic level. I think what gravel is, is it's uh, a little bit more accessible terrain, really, really hard, but you're not hitting like XCO World Cup drops or something. Um, you can do it on almost any kind of off-road bike. Like you could do it on a gravel bike. You could do it on a mountain bike and you're all in it together on one huge route, usually in a crazy, beautiful place. That's kind of like the basic premise. And then it's just sort of explode into all these different directions. You know, there's people that kind of gravitate more towards the adventure gravel side of things where if they race, it's very much like a vibey adventure where they pack a few beers with them and stop at the aid stations a lot type thing. And then you have, you know, something like Unbound that's just gotten super professionalized now and everyone's in skin suits and aero helmets and there's road tactics. And it seems like every year we have five new world tour pros show up to it and just raise the level. Is that so, right? Is that right? The roadies oh, yeah. are coming over to it. Really? It's which is interesting because yeah. is that is that a sign of how big the gravel's got then? I think so. I think so. And it's it's funny because you look at some of the guys who were racing in the world tour and then saw this gravel thing and realized that they might actually, you know, maybe tor- they were towards the end of their world tour careers, more in domestique positions, and they actually had more professional opportunities if they switched to gravel. And then you have other folks like, uh, I don't know, Lawrence Tendam, for example, who's had incredible road results, finished really high up in the Tour de France and just wanted to do something fun. And he's still super fast, but he's not uh, he doesn't have the pressure of it being his, you know, his job job. But he wants to stay fit. He wants to have a good time. So it's this really interesting melting pot where you get all of these different people from different backgrounds. Um, you get people who are really focused on like World Cup XCO, like Keegan Swinson, for example, who has been many time XC national champion, uh, switching fully over to gravel and just 100% focusing on that. Like Sofia Gomez, who won Cape Epic, like she's fully focused on gravel now. So oh, right. it's just people coming from all different directions. And I think that's one of the things that makes you know, it really cool. It's it's really interesting now that I think about it. It kind of reminds me of uh, enduro mountain biking in the early days. Well, 
Mm. It reminds listening. I was going to say it reminds me of mountain biking in the early days. Like well, you know, yes. like how everyone like you get like a downhiller who's good at it, and you get like this guy like because XC- it's a new kind yeah, of genre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you know there wasn't before there was gravel bikes. There weren't gravel riders before there right. was mountain bikes. There weren't map like when right, I started mountain sure. biking. Of course, it was motorbike trials riders, roadies. Yeah, people, you know, it, I don't know what it was really. Philip Paracas on a bike that he would built <laughs> in his garage. But you know what I mean? It was yeah. just weird. It was yeah. weird and wonderful actually. But there was, you know, it's there so was, true. There, that's, yeah, there was no, there was no mountain bikers. They weren't mountain bikers. That's a perfect yeah. analogy. Yeah, I've brought that up a couple of times because even some of the technology you see, like <clears throat> so a lot of these gravel bikes have like little head shocks or they right. have little thirty millimeter forks. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like are, going back to the future. Huh? <clears throat> yeah, and people are like, "What if we made the tires wider?" And everyone's like, "Whoa!" And like, and so you have a lot of these little like micro technology steps and a lot of the bikes really do resemble like early 90s late 80s yeah. mountain bikes they do to ride sure. i mean i mean before we came on air i was we were talking about it and like i love my gravel bike right because because i could where i live it's pretty flat it doesn't really warrant it doesn't really warrant a mountain bike quite honestly a little bit you could go mm. around on a one 120 travel something or other but i like it because i'm away from the traffic it feels weird to ride basically a road bike off road it feels wrong it feels but but the main thing I like about it is I'm going fast. Like, it's the most efficient yeah. bike yeah, there yeah, is. Yeah. Like, when I pedal, I go forwards. And that's important for me. Yeah. Because I ain't the fittest. <laughs> I ain't the strongest. But I feel, yeah, I can feel it on that bike, you know. I can feel it when I'm climbing. It, it reacts. I love it. I absolutely love the gravel. It's, it's, it's cycling without traffic. That's what it is to me. So true. Yeah. And also, Rob, a question for you. Do you, coming from DH, do you enjoy taking a gravel bike where it shouldn't go per se like yeah, under biking we said that isn't yeah. that i said what isn't that I said weird? one of my like, favorite things is to go down a hill not fast actually not like you would on a mountain bike but the fact that yeah. you can't see anything because <laughs> the vibration's so bad it's raw again right it just feels really kind of cut back and raw yeah and you get in and you hang the bike up you ain't got to check the pressures in the suspension like it's done yeah. you grab it you go again that that's it's yeah. so simple it's so it's like the perfect bike. It can do anything. That's that's the beauty of it to me. I love them. Yeah. I'm on mine totally. today, actually. Just dropped nice. it in there that I cycled a full 35 minutes across town. Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. He was he was also 20 minutes late. So I... <laughs> oh, well. He's training. He's in, he's in training. I'll be getting a taxi back. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. What is like, is, is the terrain actually gravel roads? Like... It's. I know it's called. Well, I did some. I did some research here. Um, yeah. Uh, bust this one out. Uh, One point four million miles of gravel roads in the U.S. Wow. Um, Whoa. So yeah, yeah. You got a bit, there's dang. a bit to cover there, but you might not run out, mate. You might. You're all right for a bit, yeah. But yeah, like. <laughs> I think we're okay. But Rob was saying that, like, you when you think of like taking a gravel bike where it's not supposed to go, like, you're not just riding on double track road. Um, it's kind of yeah. a bit of everything, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, kind of like Rob was just saying, it just opens up so many opportunities. What's funny is, so I live here in Durango, Colorado, and most of our good road rides are dirt road rides. It's just a small town, so we don't have many paved roads. I've been roads. there loads of times. Durango, I love it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, it's and a so we used town, to just, it used to be. <laughs> now it's gravel. Yeah, it is. Now it's gravel. And so we just, <laughs> now it's gravel. <laughs> <We're running. laughs> I mean, half the local pros have switched to gravel, so it's actually not that untrue. But <laughs> yeah, I spent a lot of time there. Anyway, um, 
most of our best road rides are are dirt roads and so we always just rode our road bikes on these gravel roads just kind of sketchily um you know on like 25 mil tires or whatever and then gravel bikes came up and we're like oh this is awesome you know we can ride way faster on the same roads but then you know as the technology progresses you start start being able to tack on like little sections of single track and then the events really start to push it too like kind of we like we see on the world cup for example like the the tracks push the technology the technology pushes the tracks yeah yeah. and in in a little bit of a way like the same is happening with gravel because the bikes do get more uh capable and then everyone gets a little bit emboldened to push them a little further so so some of my speaking of bentonville one of my all-time favorite gravel races is called the rule of three Mm. and they call it the rule of three because it's tarmac uh dirt road and single track oh yeah in that 115, 110 mile race, we probably cover 40 miles of single track. Oh. Um, and it's just so dang fun. Just like going full Star Wars mode on drop bars <laughs> through Twisty Trail. Yeah. You know, racing as fast. It's so fun. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, Wait, because gravel, I feel like it's not so, you know, downhill is a downhill race. Like I can tell you that you're going to start at the top and then it's going to be three to five minutes and you're going to be done. But gravel, it seems like the events are all over the place. Like, can you give me like a, a little run of mm. the different types? Like there's super long ones and like you have that yeah. super unbound XL and stuff like that. Like what's out there? Yeah. Well, I did one in Girona, Spain this spring that uh, was run almost enduro style. So there were timed segments. So the whole route, I think, was around 70 miles. And we had, I think, three like 20-ish mile time segments, which was a cool setup because you all kind of, you know, line up, pin it, and then you kind of collect again between stages you know, share some stories, like fix whatever you broke on your bike, queue up and do the next one. It really did have that enduro feel. Um, and yeah, then you have something like Unbound or Unbound XL where it's just this vision quest where you're like, well, there's kind of a 50-50 chance that I'm going to finish and like <laughs> oh, I'm really? going to be a completely different person when I hopefully make it back to town. So there's just this huge spectrum of potential ways to do it. And I think it's one of the reasons that it's exploding is there's just depending on where you come from like there's there is something for everyone for sure when did like specific gravel races actually begin then is it the last two or three years five years it's a good question i mean again it's kind of how you define it like i remember at the leadville 100 some people used drop bar bikes then so it was like tomac was on them in uh, durango 1990 (laughs) i'm just saying i'm just saying getting my history out there were you in there were you in that race no but he won the he did win downhill worlds on drop bars no he did not. yeah tomac did didn't he yeah 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 yeah. 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 it wasn't durango he won it it was that was herbold that won durango in 1990 right yeah Oh, yeah. yeah, excuse me. Herbold won in Durango. And yeah. 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 yeah anyway, I'm, I'm good. Thanks. Although Tomac did race on a drop bar bike here at 90 Worlds when Overend won, when Ned Overend won. Oh, he won, did. I That's think. maybe what I remember. Yeah. I think I saw him in Il yeah. Choco on them drop bars in 91 as well. Well, did Il Choco. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. he was racing downhill on drop bars. Well, I, I mean, how insane is that? That's how far <laughs> we've come. Well, because like, I was just thinking about that. Like, has there been as much um, bike progress as there has it been about like because like when you when you were started racing there was people on well listening to what Paisen was saying it's like it feels like mountain biking all over again like but obviously you know a lot more this time i suppose but but like it's interesting right like a little bit like you say 30 mil suspension forks or head tube suspension Mm. i mean have you got that Mm. on your bike does it make a difference have you ridden it or are you full rigid 
So I use, it totally depends on the scenario. Um, I mean, you guys know how it is. There's so many different tools we get to choose from these days based on the terrain. Like I have, speaking of splitting hairs, for my mountain bike racing, I have a 120 bike and I have a 110 bike. And the 110 bike, you know, is a pound and a half lighter or a pound lighter. The 120 bike is that little bit slacker and more shreddy. But the, the, uh, yeah, y'all are laughing. (laughs) 120 shreddy bike. (laughs) You'll be hearing that in commentary. (laughs) (laughs) And then it's kind of the same on the gravel. So I have like an adventure gravel bike that has a little bit of suspension on it, little 75 mil dropper post. Huh. kind of flared handlebars and then i have a more race oriented i actually have three race gravel bikes i have one that's sort of in the middle that has a little bit more tire clearance um usually i run like 40 or 45 mil tires on that and then i have a super aero gravel bike that's almost a road bike that i can't run more than 40 mil tires in but it's just like an absolute laser you know when when Is you have it? a gravel race that's like a 20 because some of these gravel races man like we have a gravel race in steamboat springs that is 150 miles long and we average 23 miles an hour for the whole no thing. Uh, why? Yeah. So no it's just why? like a it's just like a road race, you know? Yeah. Um yeah, and that's where like aerodynamics and everything really come into play. So I got to see you at Unbound this year. Um yeah. and man, the two things that really struck me is that when you go to a a gravel race, like everyone is riding like you, the thing that you say, like when you go to a mountain bike race, there's a bunch of people there, but, but most people are there just spectating. Yeah. Um, but totally. unbound, the thing I heard the most was, oh, like what distance are you doing? Are you riding? Can you give me the vibe of, of, uh, of a gravel race? Like talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I think one of the other things that's really interesting and why gravel has really exploded in the U S is because in the States, bike riding and bike racing is a participation sport. It's not a spectator sport. Like we've tried over the years, there was tour California. Um, there are certain events like, you know, snowshoe world cup, tons of people turn out that sort of thing. But predominantly like in Europe, it's very much a spectator sport traditionally. And in the U S it's more of a participation sport. And so I think that's one of the reasons that these events have exploded is there are 5,000 people that want to go ride their bike you know, 200 miles across the flood hills of Kansas, as insane as that sounds. And is that, there is that are the not... kind of numbers you're talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's insane. Are you joking? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. 5,000 entrance? Yeah. yeah what? Yeah, 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 they yeah. love it. No yeah. way. Oh, it's... Yeah. When we it's say huge. exploded... Yeah, it's huge. It's exploded. <laughs> My God, 5,000 people in one race. That's insane. Yeah. And there's wait lists, man. Yeah. There's wait lists. Like, yeah, that's... More. more people would do it if, if they no could get them in, way. you know? Like... Um, so in terms of like the, that, that, those conversations you're talking about, like it's, it's fun because there's folks in my position, like one of the opportunities we have as a pro is to kind of like be a members of the community, like instead of in the world tour where there's PR officers that are always kind of like trying to protect, you, you know, whoever like Tata Pogachar from like having to talk to many people and he's always being shepherded around. Obviously we're not of that stature. And so one of the, the strengths that we can have is like being very active members of the community. So in the days leading up to the race, when there's these thousands of people walking around the expo, we can hang out and these people get to have an experience where maybe they like following me, they enjoy seeing how I do at races and we can make their day giving them five minutes of our time to chat yeah. with them. So it's a very different feel. Um, and it's interesting to kind of start to feel like 
tipping points here and there. Like we're seeing some really big names show up to these events. Like there's yeah. rumor that talk to me about the um, lifetime Grand Prix. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah, I feel yeah. like that's kind of along these lines. <clears throat> yeah. So that's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting development that I think is, it was, it was a big leap cause it was kind of like the, the big, um, biggest presence in gravel lifetime events. It's making a little bit of a gamble that they could, uh, push, a little bit of investment into the pro side of things and really develop some fan base there and see if they could elevate um, this series. So basically they took seven of the most popular events and put them together in this uh, year long series. Three of them are mountain bike, four are gravel. Um, It's basically just a a season long points chase. And a lot of the, well, all of the events are also mass participation events. So it's the Leadville 100 unbound a bunch of events they all have that same feel. We all start together with all the amateurs, but there's 35 men and 35 women that are part of this Grand Prix and chasing this prize purse, and there's more media around it and all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, we, I think we'll continue to see developments like this. How long and, do you think yeah. the sport will keep will retain its grassroots feel? Mm. Because right now, if, you know what I mean? Like you say, you start yeah. with all the yeah. amateurs. That's brilliant, right? There's yeah. 5,000 people there. That's amazing. But mm. like all these sports we've seen right from, you know, like when you said when you said then that they've linked seven events together, I was like, oh, yeah, that's how the EWS started. Yeah, Do you fair, see this yeah. becoming yeah. more like a more professional sport, really, ultimately, maybe five years down the road? Yeah, I think so. And this so in the second year of the Grand Prix, we're definitely seeing that like we have in, in my field, for example, we have three guys from Australia, a guy from South Africa, a few from Canada, one from Switzerland. Like it's already, I think half the field is international. So I think that's already starting to happen. And also you're just seeing the professional opportunities really blossom too. Like the, the number of people that are able to do it full time and make a real living is, it feels like it's almost doubling every year. But the question is like, how, can it sustain itself? Like what yeah. is that going to look like five years from now? Yeah. Um, because it's the craze right now, almost. Yeah. I mean, craze is almost exactly. the word, right? It yeah. is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know, man. It, it's a good question. I think as long as there, as long as it hangs on to this feel of there's something for everyone, uh, and there are different kinds of events. You know, there, there's peop- so many people out there with so many different bike riding interests, and this is just sort of like this uh, this catch all like safe space where anyone who wants to go out to a, an event and get something out of it, no matter what it is, like there is something for them. Um, so as long as we're able to hang on to that and not, I think some of it too is like, because mountain biking still has this too, right? Where it's really, really serious, but there is this fun vibe still Yeah, very much like a lot of the top riders still have that, like yeah. from the OG days, the grassroots field, like this is fun forward. We're not, the Tour de France, you yeah. know, we're going to keep it that less, little bit more fun. Less than it even was yeah. probably 10 years ago. I feel like we, we kind of uh, are, went through that, especially like with uh, Aaron Gwynn when he came in mm. and started like training yeah. and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, It's a bit different yeah. to my era. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, it has retained, you know, down and especially it's still got big characters. Yeah, sure. That's yeah. right. And, yeah, and that, yeah, yeah. you know, we don't ever want to get rid of them big characters. They're what make it. Yeah. That's the same. For sure. What is, uh, sure. what's the spirit of gravel facing? Oh God. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Those emails are going to be coming in hot after this. <laughs> His inbox is filling up. <laughs> <laughs> so y'all are going to love this. One of my, one of my closest racing buddies, uh, who also does this full-time, has a T-shirt company. His name's Ryan Standish. And we were joking one day on a on a training ride, 
And we're like, what is the spirit of gravel? And we're like, you know what? The spirit of gravel is mountain biking. And so we ma- <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is actually hilarious. So yeah. He made these amazing shirts that just say the spirit of gravel is mountain biking. Oh um, <laughs> How did that go over? How did that? I feel like people have really strong opinions on it. Yeah, it was certainly uh, a mixed mixed reaction, but um, man, I think the, there there is there is. I think yeah. the spirit. <laughs> Uh, this, the thing is the spirit of gravel is different to everybody, you know? And I think ultimately it's just, uh, it sounds kind of cheesy, but just like the love of bikes is, is kind of the spirit of gravel and you can get out of it what you want. I've Um, I've nailed it. Right. And I said this to someone else the other day who'd also nailed it for absolute happiness on bikes. You need a gravel bike and then you need like a six inch travel, 180 mil electric mountain bike. <laughs> right? yeah. wow the, e- yeah. the emails are coming thick and no, fast yeah. email up bomb back down on the rain it's me and then if I want to go out for an actual ride take the gravel bike because it moves when you pedal it it's as simple as that yeah, I don't like, have to deal with any traffic I'm feeling a little theme here where you're just like yeah yeah the gravel bike's really fast and then my e-bike it's really fast yeah. too I'm not so fast but the bikes no. are super yeah. fast I think you just nailed it Elliot. <laughs> hey thanks for calling me out in front of everyone anyway that's my pro deal, Scott. Thanks. <laughs> uh, that's great. Mason, you, um, you have a podcast as well. I've been lucky enough to be on there. Lucky enough to be on you there. Have, you, yeah. um, Thank you. You've done 230 episodes. And I, what? yeah, it's actually insane. So I, I feel like people don't really understand how difficult it is to do a podcast. Like, how do you, how do you balance those two things? And then also, why did you start it from in the first place? Like, so many podcasts out there. Like what was what was the thing that made you want to start this? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a fun story. So early on, when I signed with Red Bull, they they knew I had interest in media, and we did some different film projects and that sort of thing. But they they wanted to help me develop something that could kind of be my own um, this ongoing thing. And so we talked about like an editorial thing, some sort of written piece monthly. And I was like, oh, that sounds like a lot of work. Um, and they mentioned podcast because i knew i was a big fan of podcasts and i was like everyone's got a podcast like there's <laughs> definitely there's no way that i'm going to add anything that isn't already already out there um but i had this awesome uh actually you guys may know him aaron lutzi i know my, aaron, my, yeah i work yeah, with him on precaster yeah 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 way back in the day yeah. um Wait, he no. he had this great point where he was like well you know how many amazing people do you run into at events or even you know right in transit and think about the conversations you have with them and you're an athlete a lot of times they're an athlete and the conversation you're going to have is very different than say a journalist to athlete what if you just shared some of those conversations with the world so um, that was kind of the premise he put a list in front of me of like 10 people that he could immediately call up it's like oh man we can really kind of hack the system here so i had i had some help uh in the beginning for sure but the thing that we sort of drew a line in the sand about early on is that we wanted to be super consistent and we never wanted to miss a week because i know that's wow, what yeah. i appreciate in podcasts totally. the that's ones right. i like to yeah. listen to and it's man it is a grind it's so much work like cranking out a quality episode every single week is just an insane amount of work but my sister who who lives in the uk is an amazing editor uh, awesome with scheduling all that sort of thing my partner nicole is super organized so it's it's kind of three of us now that run the thing no uh, and i just sort of 
show up and try not to sound dumb and uh, we crank, crank him out every week. Yeah. You're, not, you're not the only one. We, uh, yeah, we're on down. We're, we're about 1% to where you are right now. So. Yeah. Hey, I was going to ask, like, Pace, what, what's a week look like for you then? Like, apart mm. from the podcasting, like riding-wise, what do you train on the road? Do you train on gravel? Do you train on mountain bikes? Do, do you have the freedom to do what you want? Is it is it like locked down like a World Cup? Cross country pro would be, or right, is it a bit, yeah. you know, like a bit looser? Yeah. I don't know. You tell me. Yeah, you know, these days it's it's pretty formal. It's pretty serious. Um, yeah. But I I kind of like uh, fake some looseness with it just because there are so many different <laughs> kinds of <laughs> keep that spirit in there. <laughs> exactly, keep that spirit in there. There's so many different kinds of bikes that I compete on at this point. You know, I I race mountain bikes. I race you know, the adventure gravel bike, I race wow. the super racy gravel bike. And so just kind of changing it up all the time keeps it fresh. So say I have like a five hour endurance ride. If I'm kind of cracked on road riding, I'll just go do a big high mountain mountain bike ride. And immediately that, you know, makes me feel more stoked. Um, so I keep it fresh that way. But yeah, I mean, it's pretty typical, like endurance bike racer training 20 to 30 hours a week most weeks 20 um, hang that's on. crazy oh, i'm gonna huh? do another math trick here oh how many hours trick. is that <laughs> it's like wow. three to it's like three to six most days yeah Whoa. i imagine that that's like is... a full-time job no you know what oh, it is so that's super interesting wow. i i was listening to um one of your podcasts and you were saying that like you know, people think that bike racing is this super glamorous thing, but it's like, mm. it's almost like manual labor. Like you're just out there, oh, yeah. like working the oh, whole yeah. time, especially like totally. the endurance side of things. I've never heard it called manual labor, but when you put it like that, it's actually completely accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are literally totally. out there physically working every day. Yeah. Yeah, it's just elbow grease. I mean, there's times where it feels fun and, and glamorous and you feel like a rock star, like right now when I'm talking to you guys. But, <laughs> Most of the time, I mean, 95% of the time, you're just out there, you know, sweat equity, yeah. maybe getting rained on, you know, yeah. doing one more interval when you don't really necessarily want to. Um, but it, I mean, it's a great lifestyle. Like, don't get me wrong. It's uh, it's a true pleasure to be able to do this. And it is hard work, but it's very fun, hard work. I mean, you mentioned uh, you mentioned like getting to interview some really cool people. Uh, and speaking mm. of glamorous, like who, who is the coolest person? Not the coolest. I don't want to put you on. <laughs> <laughs> Let me rephrase that so you can actually more, answer. More emails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was you, Elliot. Yeah. It was you. Yeah. Yeah. I 100% know that's wrong. Um, what's like a, what's one of the athletes you interviewed that was unexpectedly like charismatic, had interesting stories? Mm, good question. Man, there's so many at this point. Um, well, one of the most memorable, this was kind of a crazy story. This was my second ever podcast, um, was Reggie Miller, the oh, Hall no of Fame way. basketball player yeah. who's super, and super, you're super into, into basketball too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Reggie was funny because I had posted something on Instagram and a, a Reggie Miller had commented and I was like, that's weird. Someone's trying to be Reggie Miller. Right, right. Um, <laughs> And then, and then he DM'd me later with a bike question. Like, this is actually Reggie Miller. Like, I don't want to be, I'm going to show my absolute okay, here ignorance here. All good. But maybe for yeah. a lot of people around the world, who is Reggie Miller? Yeah, give him, give him the lowdown, Jason. 
No worries. He uh, so he held the the three point record, career record for a long time. He's you know one of the ten best players ever in right. the in the National Basketball League. So Michael Jordan esque. Um, well, he he was like exactly the, yeah. like okay. Jordan's nemesis almost. There's like a famous <sighs> like shot yeah. clock buzzer shot that he did three pointer to beat the Bulls in in some game. Right, like that was super. Yeah, was, yeah, he and insane. Jordan were mega rivals. Oh, yeah. right on. Okay, yeah. right on. Brilliant. He, oh, amazing anyway. to get hold of him then. So he came yeah, after yeah, yeah. you. That's insane. Well, sort of. Like, he's just a huge bike fan. So we just had a bike question. And then, of course, I flipped it on him, <laughs> sort of like I did with you, Rob. And I was like, yeah, dead <laughs> bird. Want to come on my podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my dog's chewing on that sparrow's head there. But that's fine. Would you like to come on a podcast? Uh, mate, exactly. Uh, this is a bit weird, mate. Uh, I don't even know yeah, you, yeah, and your yeah. dog's eating a, eating a head of a sparrow. <laughs> Give me a minute. <laughs> classic, classic. So anyway, the where the story gets really interesting is I wasn't sure where we were going to do the podcast. I was actually uh, hanging out with Red Bull in Santa Monica doing a training camp, and Reggie lives up in Malibu, just up the coast a little bit. And he so he was game to do the podcast, and uh, he's like, "Well, we'll do it at my house in Malibu," but um, the Malibu. Uh, wildfire had just rolled through and so he had had to leave his incredibly beautiful you know sprawling house uh, on the coast um, and was staying in a rental house but he didn't want to bother his family so we went to this vacant just the biggest most grand house had ever been in and it was just speaking of like lunar landscapes it was just black everywhere the outside of the house was singed black no and way he, he pointed over he's like yeah down there is john McEnroe's house he's not living in it right now either because no, he had to, wow. you know, miley ah. cyrus lost her house right up the way oh my. and so we're <laughs> we're no in this way. vacant like you know, all the rich and famous live in that area, but none of them are there because this fire just rolled through and we're just sitting in Reggie Miller's house just like <laughs> doing a podcast. And I'm like, is, is this what podcasting's going to be like? I'm in like, for this. This is way better. <laughs> that is so wild. It's so, it's, it is actually insane, like how much bikes connect you. Like, Everyone oh, yeah. seems yeah. like they ride a bike. Like yeah. it is pretty incredible. No, it is. It's amazing. Yeah, like you said, really. Like most people, at some point in their life, are going to get on a bike. They might not. It might not bite them enough to stick with it. But a lot of people, it does. And there's so many, yeah, sportsmen around the world from all these disciplines that watch our sports. You know what I mean? That watch biking. It's mad, isn't it? Really. Yeah. Because we look at them with an old them in high esteem. Yeah, it's it's so true. Um, yeah. Mason. Just to kind of finish up, what do you think, you know, for people who are getting into gravel, how do people start? Like, what is kind of the entry point to gravel? Um, do you need to get a bike? Like, you just go find some trails? Like, what's the what's the entry point? Yeah, I mean, not to sound like a broken record, but there's a bunch of entry points, which is kind of the beauty of it. Um, I would say, you know, depending on what kind of bike you have, I would definitely get a bike that has a little bit wider tires. So if you have, you know, an old 12-speed road bike in your garage with super narrow tires, probably not the best to, to try gravel on. But um, there's so many different options out there now, and a lot of them are pretty affordable. Um, yeah. And then if you just pull up something like you know, Strava or just hit up a Google search for, for gravel routes in your area, chances are good. There's going to be something in your area, even if you live in a big metropolitan area. Um, and, or, you know, roll down to your local bike shop. They'll definitely have some, some guidance and yeah, then just start exploring. And, but I mean, 
The exploring it's a slippery is the slope. Bit. Yeah, you'll, right. you'll get addicted. Yeah. <laughs> I rode mountain bikes around where I live since, you know, since the 90s when they came out. Like, I used to train a bit. I always loved train riding mountain bit. bikes. Small amount. Small amount. And then e-bikes made it a lot better. Uh-huh. But anyway, but the, the difference is with the cyclocross bike, the, the gravel bike, is that you can't, those routes don't work. So now mm, I've experienced yeah. where I live in an entirely different way, actually, on completely different routes and different yeah i'm seeing loads of different stuff and and i've built like gravel routes that i can use that where that bike really works and i know i'm gonna have a great ride as opposed to one where i want my eyeball eyeballs putting back in afterwards you know but, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah and what races are you what's on the calendar for you what's uh what are like the big races i know you have lifetime grand prix i know there's a gravel yep. world championship now what are we yep. looking out for you on and and uh what should people follow yeah, so the kind of the Grand Prix is my focus this year, but I definitely have an eye towards the the European scene blowing up. So I did one uh, race, like I mentioned, in Girona, Spain this spring, and I think next year I'll be working in more uh, more of the European stuff. Um, I don't think I'll do now. Like, is is it? It's weird because gravel's kind of blew up in the U.S. and it's moving yeah, to Europe. That's versus... what I was going to say. Are we behind here a little yeah. bit? Then is that how it is? For sure, for sure. Hmm. But it's it's catching up quickly you know there's this race uh called the traca now which is sort of like the european version of unbound it's this big mass participation event that happens in southern spain i definitely want to do that uh what's happening in europe is more of the the uc like the the uci world series is kind of taking hold there are uci gravel races in the states um but i think we'll continue especially because of the road influence like a lot of the world tour guys will show up to those uci gravel races which is cool for folks like me who never pursued that uh side of the sport but now have an opportunity to race those guys like later in the year apparently uh alejandro valverde is going to come over and do steamboat gravel no so way. looking forward to racing him last year we raced like nikki terpstra obviously who's won roubaix and flanders huh. so it's this really cool back and forth that's happening and um even some of the you know world cup mountain bike guys are jumping in here and there for fun too so i have no idea where, what direction it's going to go but there's no shortage of opportunities well, this has been super cool. I feel like uh, I've got the spirit coursing through me now. I'm gonna- <laughs> nice, nice. Full of the spirit of gravel. Awesome. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for, yeah. for coming on and, and teaching us a little bit about it. I, I can't wait to get to another event. I, I'm, uh, I love it. It's super cool. Yeah. So yeah. am I just going to miss you guys or are we going to get a gravel ride in next week? Unfortunately, and I... I'd be very careful about going for a gravel ride with you, honestly. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. if I was there, I probably would. I would come down to Brighton and go for a spin with you for sure. Yeah, I would say oh, that nice. I was busy even if I was here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all good. Imagine going for a ride with him. Imagine going for a ride with you. Forget it. Forget you it. Jackson family, you guys are shredders, though. Oh, I, I know goodness. better. I've ridden with your brother. Yeah, he's out of control now. Is he? Yeah. Yeah. Man, awesome. It was great, great, great talking to you. Uh, great luck this season. Yeah, thanks, thanks very thanks, much guys. for your was... time, mate. It's been awesome. Yeah, really. Yeah, good. that was fun. And uh, keep that dog on a shorter lead. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. Will do. <laughs> thanks, guys. Well, you know, what I take away from talking to Payson is that there's a man 
who clearly just loves riding his bike, right? Yeah, I mean, to be on your bike for that long, riding across <laughs> Iceland, doing all these see. amazing things. And I think we can kind of see why gravel has gotten so big. So It, it really has took off. It's massive, isn't it? I love my gravel bike. <laughs> now you do. What are we up to next week? Next week, mate, we're sticking on drop bars, actually, but we're going from gravel to tarmac. And I'm like, I've, I'm excited about this. We're going to be talking about... I think it's the biggest sporting event on the planet. The most, more spectators watch the Tour de France than any other event. I'm a fan of it. Are you? Oh, I, I mean, I can't, I can't wait for it. No, it's going to be amazing. It's just across the water in France. So, yeah, it's going to be a really good podcast, that is, I think. And don't forget, you can join us on RedBull.com. You can look at us on Red Bull TV. You can find this podcast anywhere you'd normally find your podcast. Stay with us. We're going to be doing them every other week. They're going to be dropping a new Just Ride every other Tuesday. Thanks for listening. See you soon.